Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. Following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the evening service of Sunday the 12th of February 2012, entitled The Heartbeat of Paul, and the Bible reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 34. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. Praise the Lord. You know the text. Look at it, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and look at verse number 34. We read the scripture a lot of times. We think of I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to think very hard as a believer sometimes and you hear a certain chapter or a certain passage that you think of a verse. Like if I say John 3, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? John 16, 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. We think about Romans 8. Now I know it's pastor's favorite chapter, but when you think about Romans 8, what's the first verse that comes to your mind? 28. For we know all things work together for good and then love God to them who are called according to his purpose. So there are certain passages that we, when we hear it, it brings a verse to mind. You can mention chapters and you think the same thing. Most of you might not be able to quote many verses from that chapter, but when you think of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you think of the what? You think of love. Uh, For instance, Hebrews chapter 11, what do you think of? Faith. And so, you know, it's the same with 1 Corinthians 15. I don't know if you know the background of that chapter, but it deals specifically with the, op- the object and the topic of resurrection. However, there's sometimes when you are reading through a portion of Scripture and there's one verse that seems like it's thrown in there that don't make sense. Why is it there? You know, have you ever... Now, listen, pastor and I know this by experience when we go to pastor's conferences and a pastor is preaching on a topic, but yet he goes totally out of his topic and begins to preach from his heart... Listen, anytime there's something that's outside the realm of the element that he's in, and he goes outside of that, Carl, you better listen up because it's coming straight from his heart. It's the same way with Paul. Here is a verse, folks, and he's talking about resurrection. And out of nowhere, Tyler, this verse he gives us. I want you to look at it. Paul tells the church in Corinth. We know a lot about the church in Corinth. Very carnal church. Doesn't mean that all the believers were, but it meant most of them were. And let me say this, the sins of the minority will also affect the majority, just like the sins of the majority will affect the minority. So see, you think that you're just an entity in and of yourself, and what you do is not going to affect anybody else. Listen, you could be the door that the devil uses to get into this church this week if you're not careful. So you've got to be very careful. The book of the book of First Corinthians and Second Corinthians is very intriguing because Paul is addressing a church, and here's what I love about Paul: though the church was carnal and there were problems and there were dis, listen there were divisions, Paul never admonished any of the believers in Corinth to leave that work. He said, "Stick by it, stay in there." Hang in there. There's sin in the camp. But listen, I want you to get right. And by the way, if you are right, you'll know it. And if you ain't, you know it tonight. I'm not going to even go there. If you're not right with God, you know you're not right with God. But here's the portion of Scripture that we ought to all take heed to. Paul tells the church in Corinth, look at it. It says, Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. And then he makes a statement that I think is very, very interesting. He says, I speak this to your shame. I want to preach a message. Listen, Paul is giving you his heartbeat. This verse, Peter, is the very heartbeat of the Apostle Paul. His whole ministry is about this one verse, Carl. 
He says, I want you to wake up. Let me ask you something. I want to preach a message to you tonight entitled The Heartbeat of Paul. The Heartbeat of Paul. I'm going to look at a few things. We're not even going to go any farther than this one verse, but I got five points. We'll be here about the time of the tribulation period, all right? Now, it'll be about as long as Pastor Larry's message, which about is about the time of the tribulation period. Anyway, hey, I listened to him online, I know. Huh? He'd preach a tree down, son. I like it. <laughs> but this is the heartbeat of Paul. This is what his whole life was about. And you know what, folks? Somebody asked me one time, they said, what do you desire to do? Listen, folks, this just wasn't what I love to do. This is what God called me to do. This is what my livelihood is, is evangelism and is to preach the gospel. Now, folks, that doesn't make me a lofty, more spiritual person than anybody in this building tonight, does it? But it, my wife said amen. She knows me better than anybody in here. But listen, this is the, listen, this is the passion, if you will. This is almost like Paul's laying down on a stretcher and having a surgeon to, listen, literally open him up and reveal what his heart is, Panos. I want you to look at the first part of that verse. It says, awake to righteousness. Number one, we see a condition that is issued, a condition almost that is inferred. Paul is saying this. He's saying, this is the condition, folks. By the way, when you got up this morning, do you know exactly what time you got up? Most of you pretty much do because the first thing you do is look at the clock, right? We all could probably tell you what time we got up. I got up this morning at 7.03. Exactly. I knew it was because I saw the clock. But can I ask you a question? Do any of you know when you went to sleep last night? Could you give me the exact time when you went to sleep? No. You know why? You want to know why? Because you really don't know when you go to sleep. And by the way, you don't tell people that are awake to wake up. You tell people that are asleep to wake up. Amen? I know y'all thought y'all were getting some deep theological implications this week, but this is just what I am, all right? You have to tell people that are asleep to wake up. You don't tell people that are already awake to wake up. By the way, you have to listen. You have to be awake to know you ever went to sleep. <laughs> huh? Have you, have you ever woke? Listen, and I know I've got a vivid imagination, but have you ever been in a bed at 545 and you've been in a deep sleep and go, oh, i got another hour and a half to sleep? No, you don't think about it until you wake up. And until you wake up, you don't even know you're asleep. Now, I'm going somewhere, so follow me. No, I hadn't had sleep deprivation either. I'm, I'm going somewhere. There is a condition inferred here, and the condition is this. Church, it's time for us to wake up. He says, I want you to wake up. See, folks, people that need to wake up are the ones that are asleep. And you know what? A lot of times we don't even know when we went to sleep. It could have been just becoming a regular church attender. You know what, it, you know what scares me, guys? You know what scares me, ladies? You know what scares me, Bethel? Is we have gotten into this mentality, not just here in the UK, but in America, that we have gotten into this thing of the doldrums. We just go to church, get out, go back, wait till Wednesday, go to church, leave, go back to work, go to church on Sunday, and that's basically the only spiritual, that's the only spiritual meat that we get, is we go to church. Can I tell you something? If that is us, then we need to wake up. It's time for the church to wake up. Now, let me tell you something. When you're asleep, somebody could get hurt too. When people are asleep, people get hurt. I got a 
story. I remember me and my wife, and you know what? We, 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 we wasted a lot of money on a king-size bed because we normally sleep fairly close to one another, all right? We, you know, spoon, you know, if I'm on my right side, she's on my right side, and my left arm's over her, and you know, well, we waste a lot of money spending on a king-size bed. But here's the thing. I remember one night, um, I don't know if I'd watched this movie. I think I watched that movie Spy Kids where there's some ninjas involved, not mutant turtles. I'm talking about the real ninjas with the black suits and the samurai swords and all. And I was watching that. I remember to sneak. I don't, I don't dream a lot, but we went to sleep and I remember I was over there and me and my wife had fallen asleep. My arm was over the left, my left arm was over her, her side. And I started in, and in my dream, I was having one of those 3D, okay, panoramic, you know, George Lucas, Star Wars type dreams, all right, where you could just, it was four, it was four dimensional. They were coming from everywhere. And I was on this ledge. You know, it's about only a, a, only wide enough for two people to get through and it's on the side of a mountain. And you know, it's almost like one of them cartoons where if you fall off, and you're gone. You're gone all the way to the bottom. So I'm walking, and here come these ninjas around the corner. Now, I know, listen, I know enough. I know, I know. I had a piece of bad pizza that night, I guess. But I'm walking on that little path, and in my dream, listen, I knew I know enough karate to get myself in trouble. So in my dream, I am here, and one of those ninjas start, and I said, you know, there's about 30 of them, and they might get me, but the first one ain't. I'm going to take him out. So I went, here, like that, and I'm telling you, I went straight down on the pillar right beside her head, knocked her about unconscious. My wife, that is, not the ninja. And I, listen, I came across that. You know what? When you're asleep sometimes, somebody can get hurt. Amen. You know what the problem in the church today is? There's a lot of people that are asleep, and that's why people are getting hurt. We get people that get their feelings hurt. Oh, you offended me. Oh, you said something that miffed me. You know what? It's time for us to wake up and stop going to church to get offended and start going to church to get a blessing. Amen? A lot of times I'll, I'll scratch where you itch. So you know what? That's just the way it is. We need to, church, more than ever before, we need to wake up. There is a condition that is inferred, and that is wake up. Do you know what Jesus went to the disciples and said, I want you to stay here, watch and pray one hour. He went away and he prayed that the Lord's will would be done only to come back and find them asleep. Do you know what, folks? It's time for us to wake up. The church, listen, this is the heartbeat of Paul. He says, believers, it's time to wake up. Not only is there a condition inferred, but number two, I want you to see this. There is a criteria implied. What's the criteria? Look at what he says awake to. Awake to what? Righteousness. You say, preacher, what's righteousness? Well, you know what? You can let, listen, drop the E-I, the, the E-O-U-S-N-E-S-S off of it and look at the word. Awake to right. You know what righteousness is? It's just right living. That doesn't mean you're going to be right all the time. It doesn't mean that you're more spiritual than anybody else. But it means that you want to live under the expectation that you want to please God. And the way to do that is just to live right. You ever seen those WWJD bracelets? I want to get a bracelet that say Jesus would do right. What would Jesus do? He'd do right. And we are to do the same thing. See, there is, listen, there's a condition that is inferred, but there's a criteria that is implied. What's the criteria? Just do right. See, here's what we think. 
We think that there is an inflexible side of God and a flexible side of God. What are the inflexible things? Wrath. Judgment. Right? Retribution. Vindication. But we look at the flexible side as mercy, grace, peace, long-suffering love. You know what? You know what righteousness is, folks? It's where, if I can say this humanly speaking, it's where the flexible meets the inflexible. That's righteousness. See, we have gotten into this concept, Pastor, that we cannot show holiness and love at the same time. If we do, we're going to be called a sissy spiritually. No. What did Jesus Christ do on the cross of Calvary? He showed the holiness of God and love simultaneously. Folks, we got to do the same thing. Many times you'll hear a lot of people say it's fundamentalist. That's what we are. Y'all know that, right? If you believe the Bible is literal and you believe the Bible's true, you're a fundamentalist. That's not a bad word. Now, we've let another sect of people make that a bad word, but fundamentalist is not a bad word. Somebody that just believes what God said is true is a fundamentalist. But you know what we've done? We've let the world lie to us and say because we're fundamentalists, we've got to be militant, we've got to be rigid, we've got to be inflexible, we've got to be brittle, and we can't show love. God help us. You know what the criteria that God implies about the church that needs to wake up? They need to wake up to what? Not just to go, oh, okay, uh, today's a new day, and I guess I'll serve the Lord. No, we're to awake to what? Righteousness. It's just right living. Just right living. See, I think far too long what we've done is we've tried to make the world like us as a church. Let me tell you something. Let me go ahead and give you a brief tidbit of information. If you are standing for what they are for, if you're standing against what they are for, they're not going to like you. But they ought to respect you. See, the church for far too long has tried to make the world like us. To in, Listen, to like us, not be like us, but like us instead of having the world respect us. And folks, the criteria for the world respecting us, see, here's the thing. What do the people at work? See, I can ask anybody in the church who you are, and they're going to tell me what you are, what you portray. But here's where a real believer, here's where the rubber meets the road. Gareth, is what the people at school that are lost say you are. The people at work that don't know Jesus Christ, let me ask them who you are. Oh, yeah, we could ask anybody in the church who we are. You know, it's an amazing thing, isn't it? We attribute righteousness to somebody having a great big Bible, wearing a suit all the time, having their hair cut the right way, got all these externals, all these accoutrements on, and that's what we attribute righteousness to. That is as far from the truth and what God says righteousness is than anything else. Because you know what, folks? You can do all those things, and you can be as lost as a ball in high weeds. You can do all those things and have nothing to do with righteousness. You want to know why? Because righteousness is not, nothing that you can achieve. Righteousness has to be accepted. You can't achieve righteousness. You have to accept righteousness. And the fact of the matter is, folks, that righteousness is imputed to us. So number one, we've got a condition that is inferred. What's the condition? Wake up. God is shaking the church today, I believe, and saying, wake up. You know, we sing these songs. Throw out the lifeline, throw out the lifeline, you know. Yeah, yeah. Let your, uh, send the light, the blessed gospel light, but let somebody else do it because I don't want to have to do it. Sing all these pretty little songs about reaching, folks. 
And all we do is we're just whitewashed tombs sometimes. We're just a bunch of buildings and nothing but dead man's bones inside of them. That's the problem with America. That's the problem with sometimes here in England. Because we've got a lot of churches that ain't growing, they're swelling. Listen, folks, something that's dead don't grow, it swells. We got a lot of dead churches that need to listen. Folks, in order for us to wake up, we've got to realize we've been asleep. We've got to acknowledge the fact that the church of Jesus Christ, listen, folks, we can only reach those within our reach. See, I can't reach the whole world. Neither can you, ma'am. But we can reach him that God's put in our, within our reach. And folks, that's what we've got to do. There's a condition inferred. There's criteria that's implied. The criteria is be righteous. Just do right. Just do right. I heard a story somebody told me about a lady who uh, was at a, wor- a, p- a place of occupation and they wanted her to do something underhanded and she wouldn't do it and she got fired. You know what? God blessed her with another job that paid ten times what she was getting paid because she did right. You got to do right. Till the stars fall out of their sockets, do right. So there's a condition inferred, there's criteria implied, but number three, I want you to look at this very quickly. Look at verse number 34, the middle of it. It says, awake to righteousness and sin, what? It says, stop sinning. That's what it says. Stop sinning. Now here's the thing, folks. We've got these socially acceptable sins and then we've got these sociably unacceptable sins. For instance, it is sociably unacceptable for a person to be a homosexual or to be a drunkard or to be in a lesbian lifestyle, an alternative lifestyle, and we look at those people and we say that's socially unacceptable. But what about a guy in church or a lady in church that's got an ego as big as the Empire State Building who's got pride and envy and lust over somebody else's stuff, but we don't want to hear about that. We want to look at the outside. Let me tell you something, folks. There is a condition that is inferred. There is criteria that is implied. But number three, I want you to see this. There is a challenge issued. He said, I want you to stop, Pastor, sinning. He said, I want the people of God to awake to righteousness and sin not. Why would God give us a command or an order that we wouldn't have power to be able to do it? We can do it. Well, preacher, we just live in a world where we can't help but sin. I'm going to tell you this. You have a false concept of what the book of Romans says. You look at chapter number 6. You look at chapter number 7. You look at chapter number 8. And folks, you know what? We don't have to let sin have dominion over us. We can live in victory. That doesn't mean that you'll never sin again. I don't believe the sin nature is eradicated. By, by the way, yes, I do. I believe in the eradication of sin nature. It'll happen the day you die and you go to heaven. Amen. That's when you'll lose the sin nature. But we've got these sociably acceptable sins and these sociably unacceptable. Why is it that we'll tell a guy who's divorced? Now, I'm just picking something out. So you know what? Just bear with me. I'm just talking to the church tonight, all right? I ain't trying to preach to you. I'm just talking to you. Why is it that we look at a person that's divorced, say, for instance? And you know what we say sometimes as a church? Well, you know what? Bless God, you've been divorced, and the only thing you can do in church is tithe. All you can do is give. We'll accept your money, but you can't be a deacon. You can't do anything else in the church. But yet, you know what? We got a guy who has got pride. His head is so big, he can't even get in the door. And you know what we do to him? We make him the chief head of the deacon board. When that's one of the most wicked sins is pride in the Bible. Let me tell you something. There's a challenge issued. And you know what, church? Here's the challenge. I want you to awake to righteousness and stop sinning. Stop sinning. How do we sin? There's three ways we sin. 
Number one, we do it accidentally. Number two, we do it ignorantly. I had a, listen, I had a great uncle who chewed tobacco, smoked a cigar, and a pipe all at the same time. You think I'm lying? He had a, listen, his aunt, my guess guess that make my great, great aunt, his aunt was brought up as a child chewing tobacco. A woman. It was like a pacifier to her, like a, what do y'all call that, a pep? It was a pacifier. They would give her chewing tobacco. She said, you know what? Somebody asked her one time, they said, is smoking a sin? She said, yeah. She said, anything tastes as good as tobacco ought not be burnt. It ought to be chewed. Amen. That's what she said. I'm just being honest with y'all. But you know what? She lived to be 86 years of age. Suffered real bad. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, really. 86 years old. I hope I live half that. I have. Okay, in a couple years. Everything else is gravy from here, all right? Praise the Lord. But listen, she was doing that ignorantly. Nobody ever told her or warned her about the the side effects and how detrimental chewing tobacco and smoking a pipe and smoking a cigar could beat her health. So she sinned ignorantly. You can sin inadvertently. That means you don't know you did it. It's by accident. I had a guy one time that came to me in one of my meetings that I'd preached a repeat meeting at a church. Steve, he looked at me and he said, you know what, I thought the first time I met you, you stuck up. I said, stuck up? He said, yeah. I said, why? He said, because you know what, the first time I came up to you and I said hello to you, you didn't even give me the time of day. You want to know the truth? I probably didn't even hear him. There was 300 other people around and he said hello and I didn't acknowledge him and he thought I stuck up. You know what? I had to get right with him and right with God because I didn't do that on purpose. I sinned against him accidentally. I didn't do it on purpose. So folks, you know what? But a lot of times you can do it intentionally. You know what sin is like? Sin is like Lay's potato chips or like Walker's potato chips. You know the motto of Lay's potato chips? You just can't eat one. You know what many times truth of the matter is we sin intentionally. We know right. And what does the Bible say? To him that knoweth to do good and to do with it not, it is sin. I don't like that little three-letter word no more than you do. But the fact of the matter is we are that. We are sinners because we sin. Now let me say this, folks. There is a condition that is inferred. There's criteria that's implied. There is a challenge that is issued. I want you to stop sinning, but I want you to look at the last part of the verse and I'm going to be done. i got to be done. It's getting hot and y'all going to sleep. Look at, look at chapter number 15. Look at verse 34. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. Here's where we live. There's a crisis that is issued. A crisis that is issued. What's the crisis? There's some that have not. Can I say this? There's many that have not the knowledge of God. I want you to do this for me. Between the words some and have, I want you to, I want you to add these words of my family. And some of my family have not the knowledge. Put in there, and my friends, of my friends. For some of my friends have not the knowledge of God. Let me tell you the truth of the matter, folks. We sit in our little white castles, and we sing the pretty little songs. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know anybody in here. I don't think. I don't know a lot of what I would call hyper, 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 hyper Calvinists. 
Now, if you got me backed into a corner, I'll tell you like your pastor does. I'm more Calvinist than I am Arminian. Amen? I am. But I don't believe I'm a hyper-fatalist. I don't believe that God elected some to go to heaven and others to go to hell. I believe God died for all. And His blood is precious enough to be cleanse the sins of every person that ever lived on the face of the earth. And God does not choose and elect some to go to heaven and others to go to hell. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But you know what the fact, you know what's sad, Steve? We may not be hyper, hyper, hyper Calvinist. But many of us live like it. We have no evangelistic fervor. None. He says, for some, you add to words, of my family have not the knowledge of God. And for some of my friends have not the knowledge of God. There's a crisis issued. You know what we can do? There's a lot of social programs in America that feed charitable organizations, that feed the poor. They clothe those that don't have any clothing. They put, give hospital uh, uh, visits and medical attention to those that are sick. And let me say something, folks. You can feed the hungry. You can clothe the unclothed. You can do all the things you want to medically for a person. But you know the fact of the matter is, is eventually you're going to have to give them the truth. And if you don't do that, all you've done as a social program is to make dignified, educated not hungry, medically provided for sinners. Somebody's got to give them the truth. And it ain't just your pastor's job to do it. It ain't just Steve's job to go into streets and in the hedges and highways and compel people to come to Christ. It's not his job. It's every single one of us. There is a crisis that's been identified for some have not the knowledge of God. But here's the last thing I want to give you and we'll be done. I want you to look at the last part of the verse. It says, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Folks, we've had a, we've had a condition that's inferred. We've had criteria that's implied. We've had a challenge that's issued. We've had a crisis that's identified. But number five, and I'll be done, is we see here the church indicted. The church is being indicted. He said, you know what? There's people around you that bump shoulders with you every single day that have not the knowledge of God, and I speak this to your shame. You want to know something, folks? If the church of Jesus Christ is not about winning souls, we have missed the mark. Oh, listen, I know it's nice to come in here and get built up and edified. That is, the, that is what a body needs. But a body, let me tell you something, folks. If you fill a sponge up with water and you don't wring it out, it will rot if you leave it laying there. This is not easy to preach for me either. Listen, this is what I do. How many times, Carl, have I driven by houses in Regalwood where I live? Not, listen, not... Not Birmingham, England, not Ward End, but in Regalwood, North Carolina, my Jerusalem, and I've driven by their houses, Steve, and I haven't stopped to give them the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus. You say, well, I'm just not that spiritual. You don't have to be spiritual to give somebody an opportunity for life. You say, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. And then in turn, let me tell him what he did for you. 
The church is being indicted here, folks. Paul takes one verse and he says, You know what, church? I can talk about the resurrection, but that same power that lives in Jesus, listen, that, 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 wrote, that, that, that raised Jesus out of the grave lives in you, but if you're not using it to reach others for Christ, you know what? You're just nothing but a whitewashed tomb. The church indicted. What are we doing? We sing the songs. Lord, use me. Lord, I want to reach my friends. Lord, I want to reach my family. But yet you won't open your mouth one time to tell them the good news. How does 1 Corinthians 15 start? I declare to you that which I first also received, how that the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and on the third day rose again according to the Scriptures. That is the gospel. But yet, you know what? We, we have forgotten that. We want to get people healthy. We want to give them clothes. We want to make sure they're fed. There's nothing wrong with that. I will give people the shirt off my back, but I'm going to give them the gospel first. The church is being indicted. Say, indicted for what? For the very first word of the verse. What is it? Awake. Wake up. Heard a story. I'm done with this. You can close your Bibles. I heard a story. A guy told me this, that it was his great uncle that this happened to. Great uncle committed suicide back in the 1960s. It was in 1952 that he worked in a coal mine in West Virginia, Pastor. Beckley, West Virginia. He was always told, they always told the mine workers down in those mines, he said, if you ever hear an explosion, there will be little, ca little caves, little crevices in the, in the mine that you need to go into and hide there until you hear the blowback from the explosion. Go through the mine, and once it sucks back through, you run as fast as you can toward the exit. He said there was one uneventful day. Him and his friend were down there. They were walking out, had their lunch pails, getting ready to walk to get on the little cart to take them up almost 700 feet up to the top and get out of the, the mine. Guess what happened? Boom! They heard it. He said, I did not know where my friend was at. He said, but I ran into the cave. I didn't even acknowledge that my friend was with me. I ran into a little cave. I thought he ran into one on the right. I ran into one on the left. He said when the blowback went through, he said it went pitch black. He heard it suck back through, and he did what he was told to do. He got out of there as fast as he could. He said, but on his way out of the cave, he said, I, he said, I felt like I stepped on something or ran over something that was soft. He said he got up to the top, and he came out into the daylight, and he said, where's my friend at? And his friend never came out. A day and a half later, they found him. He had died in that mine shaft. When they drug him out of that mine shaft, Eric, guess what he had on his left cheek? It was the boot print of his own foot. This man that is in the church in Dixie, West Virginia, said that his great uncle lived under such guilt. Well, what if he went in there and he actually was killed by the explosion, but he didn't, you know, he wasn't killed by, by, by just being in there and suffocating to death. And he what ifed himself to death. And you know what? He lived with that guilt. The guilt that he never, ever got his friend out of that mine shaft. And you know what I thought, Steve? I thought, here's a man who lived in guilt to the point to where he went to that same mine shaft eight years later and took his own life with a pistol because he couldn't take it anymore. And here's a man who is under guilt, Pastor, for something he can't control or he can't change, but yet we have no guilt for the things that we can change. We have no conviction over what we can change, but yet this man had guilt to the point that he took his own life for something he could not change. Folks, do you understand 
that Paul, is, his heartbeat is saying, I want you to wake up. I want you to live right. Some of your people, some people around you don't have the knowledge of God. And I speak that to your shame. We've got to wake up and we've got to do what God called the church to do. Go ye into every, listen, every nation and preach the gospel to every living creature. That means go to Chile. It, mean, it means go to Scotland. Go to Kenya. Go to Uganda. Go to Malawi. Go to Antarctica. Because you know what, folks? If somebody in this room don't go, I dare say, probably nobody will. See, you've got to look at it that way. God's got a purpose for my life. He's got a purpose for yours. And I want to ask you a question. The church is being indicted here. For what? For being asleep. Folks, do you understand I've got a rare privilege to minister to the young lady that was driving the car who my son died in that wreck? And do you understand this? I have a privilege to minister to that girl because you know what? She's going to have to live with the guilt that, that was, she was responsible for the death of another human being. Somebody's got to reach her. Who else better to do it than the people that have it? Listen, have, a, have been affected by it. How do we show the love of Christ? Listen, folks, nobody said it was easy. Nobody said that life was going to be a box of chocolates. Nobody ever said that. God never did. But I promise you this. We need to wake up. It's time for the church to understand that there is a crisis that's been identified. There are some, Steve, that have not the knowledge of God. We dealt with what? 89, 90% last night at the nursing home who have, are in their 80s and 90s and have never known what it is to be loved by Jesus Christ. The church is being indicted. Can I ask you something, folks? Are you only going to minister to people when it's easy? you got to minister to people even when it's difficult. I look into the eyes of the young lady who was driving that car and I see, listen, I see the guilt on her face. Who am I to make her more guilty? It's not my job. It's my job to love her and to try to lead her to Jesus. God never promised it'd be easy. But He said He would be there for you to bring you through it. There's a song that I love. It's called Through the Fire. The words are these. Chorus. He never promised that the cross would not get heavy and the hill would not be hard to climb. He never offered our victories without fighting, but He said help would always come in time. So just remember when you're standing in the valley of decision and the adversary says give in, just hold on. Our Lord will show up and He will take you through the fire again. And He will. You know He never said from? He never said in. He never sowed out of. He said, through the fire. Folks, what about you tonight? What's your heartbeat? There's some of your family that are without the knowledge of God. There's some of your friends that are without the knowledge of God. And who's going to tell them if you don't? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Nobody looking around. 
As Miss Shelley comes to the piano, I wanted to ask you a question tonight, petition you to think about this. I believe it's all home folk here tonight. I believe we've all, I believe this is the church here tonight, and I just want to ask a question. What's your heartbeat? Paul, here he is in this chapter, folks, talking about the resurrection, and he throws one verse in there and says, Church, it's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to wake up to do right. For there's some people, and listen, he said, stop sinning. Stop doing wrong. It doesn't matter if it's intentional or inadvertent. I want you to stop sinning because there's some who have not the knowledge of God, and I speak this to you, Shane. I wonder tonight if you've really had a burden for your friends. I wonder tonight if, you know what, if God's been pricking your heart for quite some time about you going and, win, listen, trying to win your family to Christ. But you won't do it because you say, I don't have the right words, Lord. I, I can't speak well. and I don't have the gift of evangelism. Listen, you've got the gift inside of you. The Holy Spirit of God will, listen, He will empower you to speak boldly unto your friends and your family. All you got to do is ask Him. Would you say, preacher, I want you to pray for me. I've been asleep a little bit. I knew when I woke up. I've known when I woke up before, but I don't know really when I went to sleep. And I just want you to pray for me. I've been asleep and I want to wake up. And I just want you to pray for me. Anybody like that? Anybody? God bless you. God bless you. Hands all over. I see them. God bless you. Once you put it up, you can put it back down. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I pray that you would help us to have the same heart cry and the heartbeat of Paul. Lord, awake us to righteousness and help us to stop sinning because there's some that have not the knowledge of God Oh, Lord, please, I pray, just like this man in the mine shaft, help us to be aware of those around us and not just ourselves. Lord, we could save our own flesh, but what about others? Lord, we got to worry about the hearts and the souls of mankind. I pray, Lord, that you would help us. Help us to have the same heartbeat that Paul had. And, Lord, we'll love you and praise you for what you do in our lives because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.